0: Good morning and welcome to Cox Media Houston's public affairs show FYI. My name is Susie Hanks. During the State of the Union address in January, President Barack Obama announced a cancer moonshot program to be led by Vice President Joe Biden to cure cancer once and for all. But a lot of people don't realize that the Moonshots program actually originated a few years ago right here in Houston. And we're talking about that and some of the important aspects of it and uh, also about HPV uh, vaccines. And so with us today is the president of the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center, Dr. Ron Depino. Good morning, Dr. Depino. Good morning. And also gynecologic oncologist, Dr. Kathleen Schmaler, who is uh, a leader with the uh, HPV Moonshot program. Uh good morning Dr. Sh- uh, Schmeler. Good morning. Thank you so much for being here. I want to uh say I think that that uh, uh uh first of all when when they were talking about the moonshot program in the state of the union um a lot of people initially uh, uh you know that that kind of went hand in hand with the moonshot program with um with uh President Kennedy and 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 NASA and that made you think immediately about Houston but a lot of people didn't know that it that really went a lot deeper than that. So Dr. DePeno, can you tell me a little bit about the Houston Moonshot program, how it started before this?
1: Well, uh, it came out of an opportunity. So this is truly an historic time in the history of the field where knowledge and technology have converged to allow us to make a decisive assault on the cancer problem. Enormous opportunities in our knowledge of what causes cancer and how we might be able to prevent it technologies that allow us to to detect cancer at its earliest, most curable stages, and major changes in the treatment of cancer that are enabling patients um, without prior hope to now tackle their disease most definitively. So, given that opportunity, we felt that we wanted to marshal the significant talent, resources, and global reach of MD Anderson to be able to harness that opportunity and save lives as quickly as possible. So we launched this goal-oriented effort to try to accelerate declines in cancer mortality.
0: Uh, Tell me about what makes that different than what MD Anderson Cancer Center was doing before this and when this
1: started. Well, I think the opportunity was uh, one that wasn't, uh, let's say, readily evident prior to about six or seven years ago. But there's truly a maturation of our knowledge of what actually causes cancer and the genes that are abnormal within cancers that are providing us with newfound opportunities. So that new knowledge opportunity um, and the need to assemble large multidisciplinary teams to be able to tackle these big problems as opposed to individual investigators doing the next experiment. The multidisciplinary teams had to be assembled. That was something that we weren't doing as much as we needed to to really take those opportunities to uh, reach those clinical endpoints. Uh, But also we needed significant resources in the form of philanthropy and funding to be able to put fuel in the rocket, so to speak, so that we can really convert that knowledge into those clinical endpoints.
0: So when, uh, when this started, and this is something that was your initiative, the, the Moonshots with the uh, uh, program, tell me about the different, I guess, uh, did you go in specifically targeting different kinds of cancer, or different, different aspects of it? How did that?
1: That's a great question. So what we did is we did about 600 individuals across scholars across the institution ask the question, is there knowledge today? that if prosecuted would reduce cancer mortality within the next five to 10 years. So we looked for specific projects across many different cancers and identified initially about six cancers that represent, in fact, more than half of the deaths where we felt that there was actionable knowledge, projects that we could launch based on knowledge in hand today and technological capability that if applied, if executed, would have a big impact within the next decade. And that was four years ago. And already, within uh, the four years, there have been a number of practice-changing advances that occurred a lot more quickly as a result of this integrated, multidisciplinary effort that has been fueled by significant support.
0: Uh, very reminiscent of the beginning uh, space agency and the, the moon was the first target that they identified that they could do. And then look at all the ex- the, the, the different space exploration that has come from that. But that was the first, the first thing, almost kind of the same thing.
1: That's right. And that's, in fact, the mentality that we brought to this because, you know, the Manhattan Project and splitting the atom, uh, the moonshot program was a goal-oriented effort. The Human Genome Project that was launched by President Bush in 1988 was another example of big ideas that our nation's history has taught us, that if we put our minds and will to a task, we can and will succeed. And we felt that that similar opportunity existed at this historic moment in the history of the field uh, where knowledge and technology were converging to a point where – if we harnessed it in the right way, we can save lives
0: Is this where the making cancer history um uh saying came came from?
1: It all ties into that you know the mission of m d Anderson is to end cancer in Texas, the nation, and the world, and we take that very seriously.
0: Tell me about some of the – so the six initial, I guess, targets, let's just say. what, what Tell me some of the the, the, the great um, successes that came out of that, that, well, that have come so far.
1: There have some, been some really spectacular – and some of them have been unanticipated. And it's, again, that magic of really kind of focus and, and bringing large teams together. One shining example is in the area of ovarian cancer. It's been long known – that uh, if you are able to get as much cancer out initially as possible, those women do extremely well. But only that only occurs in about 20% of cases. The other 80% we don't do as well. There's residual disease left at the time of surgical closure. So we developed what we call the Anderson algorithm, which is to do an analysis first to ask the question, are we within striking distance for that patient to be able to get the disease out? If not, let's first do uh, therapy, systemic therapy, to reduce the burden of disease and then do surgery after that. So the simple sequencing of uh, a systemic therapy versus surgery went from a 20% complete surgical excision rate to an astounding 88%. And so we believe that that's going to have a profound impact on outcomes for our patients but it's also providing us with opportunities to test new drugs and really push the envelope there. That's just one uh, simple example on the treatment side. The other major changes have occurred uh, in the area of harnessing the power of the immune system. This is a big game changer. So Jim Allison's work, he won the Lasker Prize last year. He's on the short list for the Nobel Prize. Uh, He discovered a break on the immune system, hypothesized that maybe if we deactivate that break, we can reawaken the immune system in cancer, which is asleep at the wheel. And uh, those new class of drugs that do exactly that have uh, reactivated the immune system, and in a significant fraction of patients with melanoma, lung cancer, and other cancers, we're now seeing Lazarus results for those patients. So this is a big game changer. So we're harnessing the power of these immune therapy drugs. And just last year alone, MD Anderson launched more than 100 different clinical trials across many different cancers, harnessed by the infrastructure of our Moonshot Initiative to be able to apply those drugs to the right patients at the right time so that we can really help those patients battle their disease. This is a big Big advance.
0: This um, uh, immunotherapy is um, the, uh, I, I guess before, uh, I guess from just somebody who's looking out, looking in done a couple of shows on these on this topic that instead of a scorched earth kind of everybody gets treated this way, you're really um, tailoring treatments to people. Is that right?
1: That's correct. I mean, there are two basic forms of modern cancer therapy that have emerged in the recent years. One is what you've alluded to, which is the concept of targeted therapy. So we now know the genes that are messed up in cancer. That knowledge, as a result of a project that was launched by George W. Bush, the Human Cancer Genome Project, has given us the list of abnormal genes in many, many different forms of cancer. That knowledge is allowing us to develop targeted therapies that are directed specifically at those rogue genes as opposed to carpet bombing with chemotherapy and trying to get many different problems rectified within the cancer. So that's more of a smart bomb technology uh, way of thinking about things, because we now actually know what's specifically wrong with different cancers for those individuals. So that's targeted therapy or so-called precision therapy. On the other hand, the immune system is a new paradigm as well. That is not really focusing on the cancer per se, but simply taking the brakes off your existing immune system, which is suppressed by the cancer, and harnessing what the immune system is designed to do, which is to recognize what is abnormal, be it a virus or a mutated cancer cell, and asking, you know, why are they there, and what am I going to do to get rid of it? And so the immune system is, in fact, designed to recognize something that's abnormal and get rid of it. And so it's a brilliant breakthrough mechanism, again, inspired by the work of Jim Allison at MD Anderson, uh, to really harness what has been designed for eradicating the disease. So it's a very exciting advance.
0: Um, an, a, another focus, I guess, part of the Moonshots is um, uh, researching and treatment, but also prevention and detection. Is that That's right? That's right.
1: When you think about battling cancer, you think about it like a Normandy invasion. It's, you know, cancer's greatest vulnerability, in fact, is knowledge, and that's the great thing about this show, because if folks listen carefully, we can save their lives and those that they love. So, knowledge of what causes cancer in the first place. Up to 50% of cancers can be prevented, so that knowledge is now leading to our ability to reduce our risk of getting cancer ever. So, obviously, the most important there is tobacco we are going to experience 20% of all cancer uh, deaths are are tobacco-related, and 30% of all cancer deaths are tobacco-related. So stopping uh, from smoking in the first place, and also uh, if you are a smoker, engaging in really very effective cessation programs. At Anderson, our success rates are 45% quit rates, as opposed to self-quit, which is only 5%. So that's a huge opportunity. Um, uh, Respecting the sun. So, uh, you know, avoiding sunburns, particularly as a child, is important. Uh, So sun safety, uh, not uh, engaging in tanning beds, uh, which accounts for a very significant increase in cancers. Um, And also uh, opportunities in the area of vaccination, which we'll get into in a moment, Uh, Those are all prevention strategies that, again, could reduce the burden of cancer in the first place. The other important thing for folks to recognize is that there are very effective strategies of catching cancer early when the chances for cure is greatest. And you have to make that investment. You know, we do prevention and early detection in our cars. We take care of our cars more effectively than we do our own bodies. So making the investment To get that mammogram, to get that colonoscopy, to get that skin exam is very important because that will provide opportunities to catch the cancer when it's a relatively trivial and highly treatable disease. Um, And then understanding uh, how to get treated and where to get treated. Cancer is very difficult to diagnose, so you have to make sure you get the diagnosis correct at a major institution like an Anderson that sees cancer night and day. Uh, And also the treatment regimens require very sophisticated multidisciplinary care. And because Anderson's 22,000 cancer-fighting champions um, focus only on cancer, we're very, very good at diagnosing and treating the disease. So think about cancer as a multi-pronged effort, prevention, early detection, and accurate treatment.
0: My name is Susie Hanks. You're listening to FYI, and we are talking today with the president of the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center, Dr. Ron DePino, about the Moonshots program and also gynecologic oncologist Dr. Kathleen Schmaler, who is a leader in one of the, um, the I guess, the groups or the targets, which is HPV. And so let's talk a little bit about this Uh, Good morning, Dr. Schmaler. Thank you for coming in, too. Good morning. Um, Here, we're talking about uh, one of the the main things, tobacco. Let's say that um, you know that some kids are going to start smoking. Some people are going to start smoking when they become an adult. So let's go and we'll we'll find a vaccine that we can give to kids um, in case they start smoking that will keep them from getting cancer from tobacco. Mm -hmm. Um, That... If that could be developed, that would be fabulous. We have that for HPV, but for some reason, people are resistant to it, aren't they? So let's talk a little bit about HPV and this Cancer Moonshot. What is HPV, first of all?
2: So HPV is the human papillomavirus, and it's a very, very common virus that is um, sexually transmitted, and 80% of people get it at some point. Usually they get it um, as teenagers or young adults. Um, But very, very common virus. In most people, um, they're able to clear it, both men and women, and don't have any long term effects. But in a small percentage of people, it goes on um, to, they go on to develop pre cancer and then, if not caught early, cancer. Uh, So again, a totally preventable disease in that we now have these excellent vaccines that were approved in 2006 that can prevent people from. Um, getting the infection, and then have the possibility of developing cancer in the future.
0: This is uh, something that uh, people didn't hear about a long time ago, or just within the past, I guess, how many years? When did this all kind of start to come out and and, and become in the public eye?
2: So it's been available since 2006, um, but it's had some controversy associated with it and some concerns over the safety and now um, it's been shown over and over again all around the world that it's a completely safe vaccine. Yeah. Um,
0: what kind of cancers does HPV cause?
2: So it can cause cervical cancer um, and that in women um, as well as vulvar cancer and vaginal cancer, so gynecologic, uh, those gynecologic cancers. And then um, it can also cause throat cancer or oropharyngeal cancer um and that is primarily in men but also in women but that um is rising at epidemic rates in the United States um so that's why it's very very important to vaccinate both the girls and the boys and then it can also cause uh, anal cancer as well as penile cancer
0: and these are all things that uh, in the last 10 years we've discovered can be uh help, can, can be prevented with a vaccine but for some reason it's it's people resist it why do you think it's so controversial. Why do you think people resist this vaccine?
2: I think the biggest problem is when the vaccine first came out, um, it was very much thought of as a vaccine against a sexually transmitted infection. And the the last thing people wanted to think about with their children is these sexually transmitted diseases. And really what it is, is it's a cancer vaccine. It's an anti-cancer vaccine. Um, it's recommended for both girls and boys, uh, ages 11 to 12. And the vaccine is most effective if it's given prior to Uh, sexual activity, and the chance of being exposed to this virus. Um, But I think that's been the biggest controversy. The other thing is that it's not a mandated vaccine. So it's not a vaccine that's required for our kids prior to starting school. So um, unfortunately, it hasn't been recommended as strongly as we would like, especially as cancer specialists, in the area of being able to actually prevent cancer.
0: What is the vaccination rate?
2: So the vaccination rate in the U.S. has actually been less than 50 percent to complete all three vaccines. So it's three injections that are given over a six-year period. Um, For girls, it's been around 40 percent that they've completed all three. It's increasing now, but it's still under 50 percent. And for boys, it's been, unfortunately, as low as 22 percent.
1: Yes. I'd like to return, actually, to the numbers, because this is very important just to emphasize the fact that getting this virus is part of being human. Eighty percent of the world's population will get HPV infected. It's a matter of whether or not you clear the virus with your immune system. And if you don't clear it and you have particular subtypes of the virus that are virulent and cancer-causing, then you end up with getting these cancers. So that's an important point. Each year, 14 million Americans get newly infected with HPV. Each year, 39,000 individuals In the United States get HPV-associated cancers. That does not need to occur. So as parents, as healthcare providers, we need to recommend, advocate, ensure that our children are protected from what is a common virus that infects virtually all of us. I have three young children, ages 15, 13, and 12. They've all been vaccinated.
0: Um, And a lot of people are kind of, uh, I I think, taken aback as well uh, that that you can vaccine the boys as well as the girls because at first I heard it was just girls, but it's boys as well, isn't it?
1: I would argue that this is perhaps, you know, they're both very, very important. But in the context of the oral pharyngeal cancers, those throat cancers, you know, in women for cervical cancer, we at least have pap smears that can at least detect these early cancers when it's relatively curable. But for the throat cancers, they occur very deep in the crypts of the throat. There is no pap smear equivalent, so you are newly diagnosed typically with a fairly advanced cancer. So it's a very important that the boys and the girls get vaccinated.
0: Throat, this, the throat cancer treatment for that can be very very harsh, can't
1: it? It is certainly a tough one, and uh, you know you're talking about radiation surgery you know, the potential to actually lose your ability to speak and to swallow effectively, et cetera, it, again, that pain and suffering does not need to occur, and so parents and health care providers, pediatricians, have to ask themselves, do they feel that this is uh, the appropriate thing to do, to not recommend or give these vaccines to our children to protect them from what is a very significant health, health risk?
0: I, I have a couple of friends who've gone through this treatment, and I know that before they could even begin with the cancer treatment, they had to have teeth removed and things with the jaw and all sorts of things because it's in that region. And a lot of, I guess, um, th- I've been hearing more and more about this, and this is something that we're going to be hearing more about because it's actually growing and spreading and getting getting, getting more um, common.
2: Yeah, the cases of oropharyngeal cancer are actually surpassing the cases of cervical cancer in this country. And part of that is the success of cervical cancer, that we have these good screening early detection programs that we don't have for oropharyngeal cancer.
0: Um, I I think that, do you think that possibly the the idea now that that they're recommending more uh, for boys and girls instead of at first I think it was just girls, do you think that that might be actually making it more acceptable to parents for their children if boys should be getting it as well?
2: I think so. I think there's there's been a, a big change. And also, I think just the education about it, that it's an anti-cancer vaccine. And also, we're way behind other countries around the world. Um, in Australia, in the UK, in many European countries, they've vaccinated more than 70 or 80 percent um, of their children, and even Brazil recently started a program in many Latin American countries are way, way ahead of us, even Rwanda and Africa has vaccination rates over ninety five percent so we 're really lagging behind in the united states
0: so how uh, with the with the can- with the moonshot Um, uh, How are you striving to get more people vaccinated, more kids vaccinated?
2: So we have a very, very active educational campaign. Um, One of um, our colleagues, Dr. Lois Raymondetta, is traveling around the state and really around the country, um, educating both the public as well as pediatricians about the importance of this vaccine. Um, So this has been a really, really big education effort.
0: Um, it's also uh, uh, spreading to, I guess, that uh, MD Anderson is doing a lot of work with um, uh, low-served areas. Is that right with this?
2: Correct, correct. We provide all the um, uh, the cancer services for uh, LBJ Hospital here in Houston, uh, one of our county hospitals. And then we also have very active programs uh, in the Rio Grande Valley along the Texas-Mexico border. And then several projects, uh, both in Latin America and Sub-Saharan Africa, Uh, particularly in the area of cervical cancer because the rates are so high in those countries due to lack of organized screening programs.
1: I mean, it's worth noting that MD Anderson's global program uh, is able to reach almost one-third of the human population. So what we've done uh, throughout our history is to reach out to other institutions, other governments, uh, to try to improve the quality of care throughout the United States in medical deserts Uh, but also uh, in other countries so that we can teach them how to prevent, detect, and treat cancer very, very effectively. We have 34 sister institutions in 24 countries and work with those institutions and those governments to really improve public health and uh, cancer treatments.
0: Um, We are uh, – I wanted to talk a little bit about – more about that in uh coming up here in just the next few minutes but i wanted to um uh, ask you where do people where do kids get these vaccines where can they go and and now we're talking about back to school and vaccinations and things right now it's kind of a timely thing are you uh um uh, where where do you, where do parents and where do kids get the information about this and get the vaccines?
2: So, pediatrician, the the first thing is to ask. Many kids are going back to get school physicals and sports physicals. Is to ask your pediatrician. Um, that's the primary place uh, to get it. We actually have a clinic at MD Anderson now for our employees because we found a, a huge um, void, and even even our own staff uh, weren't getting their children vaccinated either due to lack of knowledge. Or because of the availability of being able to get into their pediatrician for the three injections, so we now have a clinic at MD Anderson for our employees that's on a Saturday, um, and we're hoping to expand that uh, as well. But the the primary place is is the pediatrician. Um, I have a ten year old daughter and a twelve year old son. And, um, you know, our pediatrician's office actually has you. You can just walk in to get the injections after you've gotten the first one. Uh, So really just talking to your pediatrician and asking your pediatrician about this vaccination if it's not brought up to you.
0: One of the controversies as well was that it was uh, that uh, Governor Rick Perry tried to make it a mandatory thing um, and people backed or resisted that. Should it be a mandatory part of the mandatory vaccination package?
2: So there are a couple of states that do mandate. Rhode Island recently um, uh, made it a mandate with a, the, an opt-out um, clause for parents, um, and their vaccination rates have skyrocketed. So in my opinion, I think we it would be a good idea to mandate it with that option to, to opt out. Um, But I really think it's important. We've got to get our children vaccinated. Um, You know, what they've done in other countries is actually have school-based programs where the children receive the vaccine in schools. Canada does that. Australia does that. um, And many, many other countries around the world.
0: We are doc- talking with the president of the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center, Dr. Ron DePino, and gynecological uh, gynecologic oncologist, Dr. Kathleen Schmaler, talking about the Moonshot program. We just have a few more minutes left, and the Moonshot program uh, focuses on maybe a dozen is a dozen different cancers. A dozen what's, different
1: cancers, yeah. What, uh,
0: what's on the horizon? What's next?
1: Well, what we're now beginning to see is, as a result of the enormous amount of work over the last four years to really set this massive project up. Uh, we're now beginning to see results come out of that. And so we're in the area of prevention. We're helping to uh, guide policy uh, that can uh, lead to improved prevention of the disease and so on. So in many states throughout the United States, we work with legislatures to now enact tanning bed restrictions for children under the age of 18. As an example, we're doing a lot of work in end tobacco, so on and so forth. We're seeing um, a lot of the treatment strategies for uh, these major cancers to pivot towards highly effective regimens uh, on the bedrock of uh, some of the things that we're doing in immunotherapy. Um, We're also trying to develop a simple and inexpensive blood test uh, that could be used here and around the world to detect uh, major cancers uh, from a simple analysis of the blood and so that's a big initiative for us as well.
0: Yeah, before symptoms, before anything, you could get a test and wouldn't that be amazing you could start attacking it before it it, it gets worse.
1: It is uh, it's important to appreciate that uh after the age of 50 the incidence of cancer does skyrocket, culminating in a 1 in 2 chance for men in getting cancer and a 1 in 3 chance for women. Those are pretty high risks. So you've got to be on surveillance. You've got to engage in early detection strategies to catch those cancers early. One and two risk.
0: Um, this has been such a wonderful show, and I want to thank you both for coming in. Um, if if people wanted to find more information, I know that there's a ton of it on your website. Do That's you right. have places where people can go and, 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 and find more information for themselves?
1: Yes, mdanderson.org. Yeah and uh, that will link into our care our moonshots initiatives and so on and i just want to thank in particular our community houston you know we have great institutions like md anderson because people believe in us and our mission uh and md anderson is truly houston's gift to the world the impact that we're having on this major humanitarian crisis is real and houston should be very proud of the institution that it's created to help us make cancer history. Yeah. Well,
0: if anybody can end cancer, it's MD Anderson. Thank you very much for coming in this morning. My name is Susie Hanks, and you've been listening to FYI.